0: Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship accessible, sharing down-to-earth training advice and practical exercises with horsemen dedicated to accomplishing their goals. Whether you're hitting the trails for fun, training a project horse at home, or refining maneuvers for reining or cowhorse competition, we'll help you take your horsemanship to the next level. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. My name is Jake Lundahl, joined here with my brother Luke. And today on this episode, we're going to be covering what we think is a crucial point in terms of mindset and philosophy across all levels of horsemanship. This is for, you know, a lot of beginners that are listening to us might think we're strictly singling out the show horse people here and the people that want to really get their skills advanced. But there's value here for you too if you're a beginner because this plays into so many aspects of what we do with our horses, not just showing, but it's important in a show horse context. And this came up recently. We've been playing around with how to approach this subject. It's a massive subject in terms of mindset of how to create a show horse or how to get a horse finished to where they are taking some responsibility for what's going on and they are dialed into what their job is. And we're not having to manufacture everything always be in a training mode, and always be running the show. We can start depending on our horse a little bit to pick up more of the slack. And that's become a crucial issue lately with some of our clients, especially in the in the courses that we've been doing, working with them one-on-one. It's probably the biggest mental roadblock that we see. And what it essentially breaks down to is showing or competition or just in your training process, finding a way to End that and get to a finishing note to where you're not always in a training stage perpetually, that's the central question that a lot of people face. And they don't know and they don't know how to get to that point, whether it's simply obstacle work and being able to depend on a horse that when you take it to a different location or introduce new obstacles, you're not always tripping over the same stumbling blocks, or you're wanting to go compete and you need to depend on that horse to be dialed in and understand his job in a in a high pressure situation, you need to be able to have that reliance there. Right. Well, this is
1: something that it's, we had to learn it the hard way. And it's probably one of the most difficult concepts to, to, for people to understand. I know it was for me as well, because it's such a culture shock, so to speak, going from the training mindset to the showing mindset. And in the training mindset, you assume that, well, I do more exercises basically, and I get the horse broke for the sake of getting him broke. And so then all those exercises should be there for me when I turn him completely loose, put him in the arena by himself, and go expect him to do it perfectly the moment I ask him to do it. And then we run into massive problems in the showpin, and we wonder where all that training went. And what it comes down to is, when we just train on our horse for the sake of training, and that's really the key takeaway here, is we can easily get caught up in a rabbit hole with our training. Where we start going with exercises, we feel stiffness, we want to root out that stiffness. And so, what do we do? We chase it and we go farther and farther and farther after that stiffness. And we end up like running in circles constantly. You know, like I've heard the, I heard the, um, you know, like one of our mentors used to always use the term we're detectives, right? You're going in there as a detective searching out that stiffness. Well, yes, that's good in the, especially in the very beginning when you have a cult that doesn't know the rules, he's not broke and you've got a long, list of, you know, a laundry list of problems ahead of you, you need to sort out. Yes. But there comes a point where as a detective, if you continue with that mindset, you're going to be following leads that lead you to nothing. You're just going to be constantly going after every little thing. Oh, somebody looked at me across the street. Maybe they're the murderer. And you go after them for no reason other than they just looked at you. Like you start chasing random leads that mean nothing and you end up wasting time because you went down a faulty lead so to speak, just over the sake of trying to overanalyze everything. When we when we talked about this in a very early podcast, another kind of similarity to this is the round pen, where people, they'll take their horse, and we're guilty of this as well. We did this a lot before we kind of knew any better or understood what we were doing. We'd get a horse out of the pasture that was fairly broke, and he was a little bit fresh having three, four days off. But What do we do? Well, we put him back in the round pen, and we make him go run circles in the round pen. And we wondered why... Every time we'd bring him back or we gave him even a day off, the horse would would need a bunch of, like, physical work every single time in order to kind of basically wear him out before he was finally mentally engaged to listen to us. And every time we did it, it seemed like it took more and more and more. And we wondered what was going on. None of this, you know, all this preparation, this groundwork seemed to be paying off for our ride. And it was because the horse had just gone on to autopilot. And basically had, but we'd lulled him into sleep by going and putting him in the round pin again and again and again. So the moment we put him in the round pin, he just shut his mind off completely. And so he learned absolutely nothing other than to just increase his stamina a little bit. And oh, he's pulling me out of the pasture. Oh, guess what? I get to go buck and fart around and just goof around for 20 minutes. And so they just, he just gets trained to do that almost. Well, it's kind of the, The same problem here in regards to training versus showing. We can very easily lull our horses to sleep to where they just resort to, oh, new obstacle. All right, you tell me what to do. And they literally just throw all the responsibility on us and make us carry them through everything because we've just, over time with repetition, all right, this exercise. Then we go do this exercise. And we basically, instead of actually riding our horse and teaching him to be responsible We just run through like a textbook basically and like, all right, class, turn to page 36 and we're going to work on, you know, advanced algebra today. You know, you just run through little lesson plans every single day and your horse, yes, he feels better to you, but he's not learning anything practical. And that's the hard thing. It's hard for us to get away from because you get addicted to that feel. You get addicted to that, that soft feeling, that malleableness, that just that brokenness. It looks great. And it feels great when you're training on them. You know, I've seen tons of horses that look amazing doing demos and the horse just broke loose in a, in a bajillion different ways. And, and it can do all these great maneuvers because it's being trained on the whole time. It's two handed and it's everything is manufactured. You go and try and turn that horse loose in the show pen and it completely falls apart. There's a reason that those horses don't <laughs> go into the show pen because they're a trained on. They're suited for being trained on. That's all they know and that's all they can handle. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you're chasing, if you're wanting just to have a super broke horse that, that constantly is just waiting for you to kind of micromanage them and put them in and out of every situation, that, that's absolutely fine. But the whole goal really of horsemanship, um, for us, especially and, and really should be like the pinnacle of horsemanship is to get to the point where you have a responsible partner that you don't have to constantly be doing everything for like it. Like in a relationship, it needs to be equal type of a partnership, right? You can't be just carrying the whole bulk of the weight. And the horse is just lazily just saying, you know, like basically what the horse is doing is you you as the rider, you're asking the horse, so uh, honey, what do you want for dinner? And they're like, I don't know, what do you want for dinner? Like, I know, I asked you, take some responsibility, come up with a suggestion. Don't make me do everything. You know, it's kind of that scenario here. Is yes, he can do exercises and, and do things great in the arena. And we can go to different arenas and ride with other people and do the same exercises and have, you know, kind of play days and stuff like that, which is, is great for them. But we're not preparing our horse to actually go into some sort of a show. It doesn't matter what the show is. It could be a open trail class, a horsemanship pattern, a western pleasure class, whatever it might be. There's tons of different, there's extreme cowboy race, you name it, whatever the show might be. There's a difference, there's an absolute difference between turning the horse completely loose and acting like someone is watching and judging my every move. And now I need the horse to be responsible for, he may not know what I'm asking him to do because I didn't completely, I couldn't possibly fully prepare him for everything. Like, maybe I take him to an open trail class and there's an obstacle there or it's painted away, or it's set up a way that I didn't predict, right? And we can't expect to... Have the arena open for three hours before the show starts, to where we can run through all the obstacles thirty different times and train them over everything. So we need to be able to develop a mindset in our horse that when you approach something completely pitched away, and I'm just sitting there driving you as the rider, and I'm not protecting you and micromanaging you, you don't have. We don't have time to introduce that obstacle with ten minutes of rollbacks and approach and retreat. I need you to ride up to that obstacle, look. Approach it. You can smell it. it. Let's say it's a trail. It's a trail pattern Ride up to it. Maybe you don't know what it is. It'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You can you can kind of smell it. And then guess what? I need you to go over it. I need you to take responsibility. Trust me as the rider and perform the way you're capable of doing it. And we just can't get that done by at home over our horse and every obstacle we introduce to him, like, say, the tarp on the ground. We introduce a tarp on the ground by immediately hustling their feet and not even giving the horse one chance to even address the obstacle or perhaps go over it. Like, we just immediately audible to train, train, train. So eventually, we teach the horse that, oh, here's an obstacle coming up. I'm just going to shut my brain off and let you work, 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 hustle, 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 and then put me on that obstacle. Like, yes, that is a great thing for, say, like, just a regular riding horse. We need to work the horse and move their feet around the obstacle, hustle, blah, blah, blah. But this is where the disconnected. This is why it's so difficult because there's two different mindsets or two different sets of skills, a training and general riding skill and a showing skill, a training general riding skill. Yes, you approach the obstacle, you work the feet around it because you can afford to. You've got the time and you don't have to worry about just sending the horse over it immediately, right? You can immediately put the horse's feet to work and engage him mentally and take 15 minutes to get him over some, a water obstacle. You don't have that luxury in the show pen, And so you can get away with having a little bit more of a a robot, so to speak, which and it's almost it's almost better in a way like you can have just a on the trail, a general riding type of a horse that you just constantly train on just for the sake of making it broke. What do you end up with? Basically, kind of just a robot that just audibles to you tell it everything to do. Right. Well, that's good for keeping you safe and a quiet horse on the trail. But if you're going to move into the Chopin itself, we have to move away from the robot mindset into a, Hey, this is a, this is a team. There's equal responsibility here. Like you as the horse have to have a vested interest in taking ownership of the situation and not constantly looking back to me to basically then take control of the situation and work you and make you hustle until you're tired and looking for the answer. You know, we can't go through the whole roll circus every single time here. Like, that works great when we have the opportunity, we're out on the trail, blah, 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 we're just training on the horse, we're getting them broke, but we have to then move away from that and start saying, hey, I need you responsible now for this stuff. I can't expose you to everything that there is out in the world, obstacle-wise, maneuver-wise. I just can't do it. It's impossible. But." What we have to do is train our horse that when we do, when he does approach something that is unfamiliar to him, he doesn't just completely lose his marbles and, ah, I don't know what to do, and you take over, tell me what to do. And then we have to go, well, hustle, hustle, move, 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 hustle, 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 get you tired, and then you'll be looking for an answer. No, we need him to say, okay, I don't know what the hell this is, I've never seen it before, but chances are it's a lot like everything else that we've done, so... I'm just going to go over it and trust that this is what we need to do. Like that's them taking responsibility. Now that isn't them just mindlessly going through the pattern and waiting for things to provoke them so that we can put them to work. You know, that's, I guess what it comes down to. Like it's a very, this is why it's, it's so difficult. Like it's a difficult concept to comprehend, but we have, there's just two sides to the coin. Yes. In the beginning, when we're working with things like a cult, especially, we've got water crossings, we've got tarps, we've got banners on the fence. You have to put their feet to work and engage them mentally by moving their feet, redirecting their feet, showing them what's going on, motivating them to look for rest, say, in the water. Yes. But if we stay there and that's our program, basically that's kind of uh, maybe a better way to articulate it is... There has to come a point where we can't depend on hustling and running the horse around and getting them out of air and then eventually marrying the rest with the object. We have to start getting away from that and making the horse responsible for taking the initiative to just trust the process and say, Okay, he's you've proven to me this many times that there's no need to be scared of it anyways, I'm not 100% confident with this. I've never seen it before, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to do it anyways because I'm, I'm responsible for this situation. And that's what we need our horses to start doing is taking that responsibility so that we don't have to, every time we go into the show pen, every single, because th- the moment we walk in there, all the prep you want to do in the world, you can never completely 100% prep your horse for walking in, in those gates into that pen and be judged. So we have to have our horse responsible and mentally engaged with us they can't be just half asleep and making us carry them
0: through the entire situation that's been one of the key learning curves i think in both of our careers is understanding that at a certain point constant training becomes like a crutch for the horse mentally because as part of your training especially if you have a consistent program if you're on a long-term development cycle with a performance horse or a, a project horse that you're tinkering with, whatever the case may be over time, you create mental habits in the way that you interact with the horse. And if you never get out of the rut of always defaulting to, you know, like you described overtraining them, when you run into a situation where there's discomfort, something new that the horse hasn't been exposed to, there's a little bit of stress or confusion involved. It's very easy to fall back into Uh, you know, ambitious trainer mode and want to get in there and get my hands dirty and fix everything and da 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 da. But what we end up doing is being like helicopter parents who never allow our horses to get more comfortable with feeling kind of like a fish out of water. You know, we can never take them to a new place or expose them to anything new or slightly uncomfortable because they're just in a mental habit of freaking out and being mindless and then handing us the keys up top and saying just do whatever i you know it's like i like i said the horse gets in a habit of just turning on turning their brain off and letting you puppeteer them around and we don't want a robot you know i use the analogy a lot of like the football team in the sense that we need to have individuals who are thinking units of their own accord but also work as a team like the coach or the the scout up in the press box is not going to be able to get on a microphone and call down to the defensive lineman his exact steps and where he needs to be based on what scheme the offense is running every single minute of every single play. At a certain point, all the tackling drills, the coverage drills, scramble drills, everything that guy did in practice is going to influence how well he plays the game. But at the end of the day, he has to understand coverages, the playbook he's been given. He needs to know how to read the situation and respond Accordingly, and think on his feet. And that's really what we need to try to establish with our horses is that there's two, two different camps of people we often see in our business is the people that are complete non-factors, meaning they don't do enough training. They, they don't step up to the plate and actually get something done. They're always kind of passively being a victim of circumstance and letting things happen to them. And then there's another camp of people who are over-ambitious on the training angle. But then they expose their horse to something new or the horse feels amazing at home because they've trained the heck out of him. So they take him somewhere to a show and it completely falls apart and they have no conception of how to handle that because the horse is completely dropping the ball and they're overstressed because they're an amateur or a green showman and they don't understand why is he feeling so horrible right now? Right, And it's because you failed to realize there's an entire other area of preparation. uh, If you're going to compete or show or even just take your horses elsewhere, that's where schooling comes in. That's why people do it. And one of the things that we never realized, especially when we were young, like being from a farm family that just was ignorant about horses, we're always guilty of what we call LGS syndrome or let's go show. It's like you, you hee haw around at home and you know, you bum flop around, you do some ground pulls and whatever else you can scrounge up and you ride, 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 train, train, train. And then you just arrogantly act like it's all gonna be okay when you step out there and go to a local show, you go compete or do something else. It's like one day we just make the decision the show and it just doesn't work, man. It does not work at all. You have to think more like a showman, and that's where what we've encountered is there's a lack of understanding of how to think like a showman, and people might say, especially lower level or um more amateur people, I mean, we aren't exactly you know world class professionals in terms of what we've accomplished. This is still a learning curve for us as well, but someone who doesn't have any ambition to show is going to say, "Well, guys, why so serious about this? If I just want a trail ride, what does it matter?" Why would I ever think about schooling my horse somewhere or or doing anything? And it's the exact same thing. Well, actually, there's two reasons. One, because you want to have that reliable team, team partner in a horse. You know, unless you want a completely mindless robot that you're always going to be responsible for, like a helicopter parent. If you want that, knock yourself out. I personally think that you enjoy a horse more when you can rely on them a little bit in the way that they can rely on you. It just makes your life easier. You know, horsemanship, as you progress along, it should actually get easier, not harder. A lot of people get caught in a rut of always training, and then they simultaneously complain that it's so hard and that it's supposed to be an enjoyable hobby. Well, I agree. You should be enjoying it. And if you're not, we need to change that fact. The other reason is that whether you are competing, even at an amateur level, like if you just want to go show at some little local association or a stock show or whatever the case may be. Or if you just want to go on group trail rides, even if you don't have the ambition to win, no one wants to go there and have the horse that is the complete ass of the class and makes you feel terrible, makes you feel embarrassed. You don't enjoy yourself, which is what you're supposed to be doing anyways. Like that's the whole point of horses. I think too many people forget. We're supposed to be enjoying ourselves with these animals and a lot of people are not. It's supposed to be fun. No one wants to be miserable on a horse that's the butt of everyone's jokes and looks awful. So even if you're not an ambitious person and and you're one of those people that says, well, a horse showing, I don't want to win trophies, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's still an incentive for you to get a horse polished and have a responsible team partner rather than just an animal that you're always training and tinkering and manipulating and operating on your life should be getting easier over time, not harder. So how do we go about this? How do
1: we go from the exercise mentality to this quote-unquote show mentality? Now, this, especially this first part, it makes it sound like, ooh, show mentality, this like mysterious thing wafting off in the breeze that's unattainable. This seems complicated, this seems difficult, but it's really not. Like, in a way, what I'm, what I really mean is it's not difficult to grasp. Like, yes, in theory, it's hard to put into practice. We still struggle with ourselves because we're still addicted to that brokenness feel, right? But in concept, it's actually f- fairly easy to wrap your head around once you're aware that it's a thing, you know? So how do we actually implement this? Like, it sounds all nice to be all preachy, you know? And we could very easily just, just pontificate about, well, you got to have the horse prepared to go in the show. You can't just ride it at home. So that's enough for this week's edition of such and such magazine. You know, we could easily just pontificate and then just leave it on a cliffhanger. But let's actually get into, okay, that sounds all nice and fancy, but how the hell do you actually do it? Let's get some actionable advice here. So what can I do at home? Well, at home, there's kind of a, a progression, so to speak, of how you handle like, Let's just use for an example, let's say I've got a trail horse and I want to compete at the kind of like, maybe that's a circuit, local shows, whatever, or maybe I'm like a youth in 4-H and I want to do, you know, the trail, like the state 4-H trail class, right? So how the hell do I prepare? What can I do at home to prepare? Well, here's the progression. When we first introduce, like say a cult that we're first introducing the obstacles, how do we go about it? Well. Do we cross the obstacle? Do we even remotely attempt to cross the obstacle? No. We work around the obstacle. We put the horse's feet to work. We engage them around. A hustle, hustle, move. Left, right, left, right. Approach, retreat. Approach, retreat. Hustle, hustle, move. Rollbacks, rollbacks. Approach, retreat. And eventually, we get them over to the obstacle. Smelling the obstacle. Over the obstacle, right? Why did we go right into moving their feet? Because they're colt. They're not very broke. We don't have much control. So we need to get them listening and paying attention, because chances are they're really going to be hyper-reactive, overacting to that object. Okay. Step two, once they're more broke, once we're more confident in them, then we approach the obstacle first. We give them the opportunity to go over it, and then we hustle, hustle, move, move, work, work, hustle, hustle, move, move, work, work, approach, retreat, hustle, hustle, move, roll back, left, right, turn, go, then approach the obstacle and eventually cross over it. So once we move from a really unbroke colt that we don't have much control of to a, a horse that has a fairly decent foundation, we approach the obstacle first and then we move his feet. Okay, so there's step two, but that's not far enough. Step three is, okay, I need a horse that, again, we've talked about this in other podcasts as well. What is a good show horse? When you walk in the pen... There's no more setting him up. There's no more, hold on, let me do this exercise a couple times, and then he'll turn really good for me. Like No, there's, you. when you ask, with all the distractions, everything that's going on, when you ask at that moment, he needs to give you the best that he has to offer that you trained him to do at that moment, right? So the last step in our progression at home is approach the obstacle, let's say it's a bridge on the ground, like a, you know, one of those, uh, plywood pallet bridges, you know, those just your basic bridge. Okay. You approach that and the horse you've well, and this is the part where a lot of people don't talk about this and they just emphasize part one and part two, but they conveniently leave out part three just for the mere fact that it can be easily taken out of context. But, if you leave out part three, there's a massive hole in your training. And this is something that you and I, Jake, we struggled with this for years until we actually got to see part three put into play for ourselves. And then we got like, holy cow, this exists. Like you can do that. Like that wasn't what we read in the magazines and the books. Like that wasn't part of the program. You know, it's, a, it's the same. It's the part three is make the horse responsible because you trained him to do this and he knows very well what to do. And he needs to start looking to you and taking responsibility for the situation that you trained him to do rather than every new thing. Ah, what is that? Ah, what is that? Every single thing you're like, well, you're going to get tired and then you'll like, Oh, okay. What, whatever it is, I'll go over it. Like, no, no more of that. When you see it, you need to approach it. I don't know what it is, but guess what? Chances are, it's probably like everything else that I've seen and didn't know about. And I'll just go over it. So, the last part is approach the obstacle, and when the horse balks at it, you then put some sort of a, and I, for lack of a better word, this is good, you have to bear with me here as I explain it, but for lack of a better word, what I would call a reprimand, okay? Either pulling the horse into a spin and spinning them around, or say, yielding their hindquarters really aggressively, really quickly, and then putting them, o- and then immediately taking them over the obstacle again. No more hustle, hustle, roll back, roll back, turn and go, any of that, any of that monkey business, it's, I asked you to do it, now I'm telling you to do it. Spinning them a horse around is the absolute best way to go about this, but if you can't spin your horse yet, yield the hindquarters is a, is a better option, but honestly, if you can't spin your horse, you're not ready for this step anyways. And this is where you can't take it out of context. You can't go to a reprimand until the horse thoroughly has an understanding for handling spooky objects. They have to understand what's going on or you're going to wreck their confidence. But there comes a point where they just end up playing with you and making you go through all the steps every single time. We have to challenge them now and step it up to, you know the rules. So no more getting a fourth strike. It's three strikes and you're out now. Okay, this isn't no more, this isn't, you know, t-ball. Okay, this is now high school baseball. So it's, the rules are real now. Okay. So when I, you approach the obstacle and you balk at it and you didn't even make an attempt to go over it, it's reprimand. It's put their feet to work in a way, like in a very intense way, like a spin, pull them around my foot. I'm not going to just jerk on their face and jerk them around. I'm going to slide my hand down the rein, draw their, their nose around towards my toe. And then from there, I can use my outside leg with driving pressure and drive that shoulder around aggressively. Get that front end hustling around in the spin and then immediately from that spin back over that obstacle. Now there's a bit of more of an incentive to not be messing around. Okay. Cause that spinning is kind of, kind of stinks. So it's not exactly the most comfortable thing to do. So it's a, we're moving into what? A do it now stage. This is no longer given holding their hand and, you know, bringing little Betty Lou through everything you know, now it's time you graduate from that. It's a do it now stage. We're not just in high school where we can fla-fla around and have 30 different career options that we're going to pursue after high school. Like, no, it's, you didn't get the scholarship and you're graduated from high school. Now it's the real world. So it's a do it now type of a thing, you know? So we have to move from just hustling and moving their feet around it to, I approach it, you block at it, you didn't even make an attempt to try. You knew well you well and truly knew better. And you just balked at it, didn't even want to try, reprimand, pull him into a spin, spin him around aggressively, ride over that obstacle again. Now, if you've done your homework and you're ready and you ha- are well and truly prepared for this, when you spin that horse around and immediately direct them back onto that obstacle, what are they going to do? Go over that obstacle. Okay. If you, if you could try to get them to go over that obstacle right after that spin, one of two things happened. Either you were, you just let the horse lo- lazily and sloppily step around and then there was no incentive to try harder because you didn't spin them around to the, to the level you needed to. Or B, you're trying to cheat the system and go right to the do it now stage, which is what most people do and why this isn't really talked about because people get lazy and they try to skip step two and go right to step three. And they, well, I want to do it right now, so I'm just going to start punishing my horse every time he spooks. That's not what this is. There's a difference between punishing your horse when he makes, when he spooks at something, or a do-it-now stage where I've prepared you to handle spooky objects. Now, I cannot continue to hold your hand. I've shown you every, I've proven to you a thousand times that when there's a spooky object, there's no need to spook at it because that's where the rest will eventually be. I'm going to hustle your feet around it and you're going to rest on it and you're going to fall in love with that spooky object because that's where you get to rest. If I've proven to that horse a thousand times that that's the answer and he still is not getting it, what does that tell me? That I a, I'm either being super ineffective to where I don't work the horse hard enough to where he's marrying the rest with the object and he doesn't have an incentive to marry the, the rest with the object or B, the horse is just toying with me now and using it Basically as an excuse to avoid responsibility. okay. And, and if, it's, if it's the latter and he's just kind of toying with me and making me jump through all the hoops every single time. No. I need you as my partner, my teammate, to take responsibility. And so it's approach the obstacle. If you don't go over it, it's going to be a reprimand because the horse knew better and I prepared them already. Okay. So I can, I'm going to say this one more time. It's not... Approach the obstacle. If he spooks, you're going to beat on him. That is not, this is where he could easily get out of context. It's not punish the horse when he spooks. It's if you've prepared the horse and he well and truly knows better. He's just, and he's not trying for you. And you've done steps one and steps two thoroughly. We move into step three, which is the do it now stage. I should not have to introduce you to every single spooky object known to man. That's physically impossible. If you want to have your horse, you know, you look at the great horses that win like the the extreme cowboy races and stuff like that or the extreme trail challenges or even a reigning pattern or a cow horse. You can't prepare that horse for everything that's going to go on. You can't prepare your horse for everything. You might get a bad cow. You might get a really, you know, energetic cow. You might get one that, you know, doesn't want that wants to plow your horse over. Okay. You can't prepare. You can't say, well, Jake, go grab, you know, pin three cows. Those are the ones that run into horses. Go grab those because we're going to work on running into cows today. Now, you can't prepare for that. You have to have trained your horse to handle that situation when he gets thrown into something that he's not a hundred percent confident with. And that's where, if you've done your homework, you can move into this do it now stage. And that's where. Well, going back to my earlier point with, you see like extreme cowboy race horses or extreme trail, all that stuff. They can't prepare for all that stuff at home. They don't have three days to ride through the course beforehand. they show up that morning trailer in and then they, they get to walk through the course on foot. And then what you go out there and you ride through the course. So why are there horses that are so successful at that? Because of that, do it now stage. They have learned, okay, there's no messing around. Yeah. I've never seen this before. But I trust the process, and I understand that, and I, I know the rules. I'm responsible for not balking at this. I'm just trusting that you have my best intentions in mind. Okay, so we have to move into that do-it-now stage. It's not just with a reigning horse or a cow horse. It's with everything because it's going to make not only our success in the show pen and at any level of the showpin, but it also just makes our life easier as the rider. So we don't have to micromanage everything. We don't have to be the guy on the trail ride. You know, if we're just trying to camp with our friends and have fun, we don't have no one wants to be that guy that is constantly disrupting everyone because their horse is jigging and spooking at every little thing, running up and down every hill, spooking at every puddle of water, all that stuff. And the, the whole time they're like, well, he doesn't do this at home. He doesn't do this at home. He doesn't do this at home. I swear he doesn't do this at home. Blah, blah, blah. Nobody believes that guy. Nobody wants to be that guy. How do we avoid being that guy? Trail riding guy, we'll call him. How do we avoid being trail rider guy? Well, we take our horse and we prepare him, and we move into this do it now stage where we don't have to micromanage our
0: horse every step they take. And everything you just laid out in terms of concept for the obstacles, it absolutely applies to performance horse maneuvers as well. And we've had people raise this issue, which is we'll go to the do it now stage, or we'll up the intensity of the pressure we're using depending on the situation where it's needed, let's say, and people will try to call us out and say, well, you guys on your podcast, you're so methodical with how you introduce everything and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, in context, in the training stage, in the introduction and the teaching stage, that all makes sense. And that fits, but there also has to be a do it now stage at some point. And the way I would describe it to go back to a sports analogy would be like, if you're a baseball player and you've practiced and practiced At one facility, just because you go play at a different field or against different people or in a different environment or, you know, whatever. It's like people's horses, if they never get out of the teaching and the training stages, they're always situationally reacting and not thinking through what what is in front of them and keeping focused on the job. They're always overreacting to what's going on in the environment. That'd be the equivalent of a baseball player that's competent at their home field but then they go play on artificial turf or against a different team that's slightly better than what they're used to. Or maybe the weather's really cold or they don't have their favorite bat or their glove broke and they're borrowing someone else's and the feel is different. Well, you, you know, the skills you've practiced so much at home, you understand the game of baseball inside and out, adapt, play through it, be resilient, think on your feet, adjust and continue with the situation. And that's kind of the mentality we're trying to create in these horses is, you know, you use the analogy of like the extreme cowboy horses. And that's what we want to get to is that the horse doesn't care. Like too many people's horses that never get out of the teaching stage, they'll go over the same bridge made out of two by fours a bazillion times. But then they find a new bridge that is covered in rubber. And the horse is like, oh, I've never seen this, blah, blah, blah. And it's a big deal. We want our horses to think, well, it's just another obstacle, just like all the other 5,000 obstacles that I've ever been over. And there was a do-it-now stage involved to where if if the color was different or if it smelled different or if it was in a different place than last time or if the wind was blowing that day, it didn't matter. It's just an obstacle that I have to find a way over. And what you'll notice is if you actually have the intestinal fortitude to get to that stage, you'll actually notice your horse turning its brain on. And when you approach something unfamiliar, they'll look at it, but not in a reactive way. They're no longer in that habit of just mindlessly reacting to what's going on in the environment. They're they're looking and noticing it, but the wheels are turning. They're thinking, okay, I trust this because I've been over a billion obstacles before. This is, this has got to be just another obstacle. I'm just going to step over it. Same thing with reining cow horse, any type of maneuver scenario. Doesn't matter that I'm in a different arena. Doesn't matter that the footing is different or that there's crowd noises or the place smells different or it's colder that day. It doesn't matter. I need to focus when I run down, the horse is thinking to himself. I need to go to the ground in the way I know how because I know that's what, it, that's what's expected. And this is what people miss is that you need to have the leverage to go to the do it now stage with enough preparation. You need that horse to have the educational bank account to draw from. You need to have built his confidence to a point where when you go to the do it now stage and you have a more aggressive or intense reprimand for that reactive behavior, the horse, the light bulb clicks. If the horse has no education and you just reprimand him and punish him out of the blue, It's just going to create confusion, but if he well and truly knows what to do, like a good analogy we see all the time is trailer loading horses that have been in and out of the trailer 5 billion times. They started off with a problem and now they're to the point where they'll load, but they always want to pause and sniff the floor and they got a paw and all this other crap. And it's like, you've been on the trailer a billion times, get on the trailer. Just because there's a new floor mat in it, or it's a stock trailer and not a living quarter, or a slant load, it doesn't matter. you know. And there, there's a certain point where that little situational or environmental crap shouldn't influence how the horse responds. He should just respond and think through the situation anyway. But you have to have the educational bank account to ask for that level of responsiveness. If you haven't done your job in preparation, then you're drawing from an empty account and you're not going to get anything.
1: And it's important to note though, that preparing for say the footing in the arena, the trailer loading, the new mat, all that stuff, it's not just going to happen overnight. There's going to be a lot of ugly scenarios and reprimanding and retraining in order to get this ideal that we're chasing in the long run. But it's not something that just materializes instantly. So, you know, we don't want to make it sound like this is super easy we're dealing with a living breathing animal so it's going to take work and and time invested on your part and a good example of this is the second area that you can of actionable advice which is in the show pen itself okay and this is where a lot of people go wrong is when they go to the show pen, they act like because i paid the entry fee and i walk in the pin well now i have to be perfect and if i fail It's an utter disaster. It's like, so let me get this straight. You're trying to climb the ladder, so to speak, in your horsemanship. But if there's any struggles along, like you don't want to have any struggles along the way in climbing that ladder. So when you go in the showpin for your first time ever, you should not, no one should see you struggle at all. Like it should look perfect. And we've talked about this in a previous podcast as well, where the good trainers are the ones that are not afraid To train through some ugliness in the warm-up pen the night before the show, like when people are just sitting there watching them school and just ride in the pen with a bunch of other riders, they aren't—they aren't concerned with well, what does old Betsy Lou on the rail think of how I look right now with this horse, you know, not wanting to say run down and stop a a plus one and a half right that it could have. It's it's I'm gonna try and cover this up and fake it so that I make Betsy Lou, you know, feel glad about her horse. No. The good ones, they don't care about making it look pretty in the process when they're climbing that ladder, so to speak. They don't try to perfect the process every step of the way up there. The steps that they take are perfecting the process in itself so that when they reach the top of the ladder, now they have the finished product to show off. And guess what? When you've got the finished product at the top, nobody cares about all the other rungs below it where they were struggling. And that's what we have to realize is... Use shows, go to different shows. And this is what you see a lot of, you know, every successful performance horse trainer does this. They use small shows. You pay the entry fee and you basically, you basically just burn the entry fee. You go in there, you pay the entry fee and you go in there and you respectfully train on your horse in front of the judge, acting like you're showing. You don't go in there and just do your own thing. Let's say a reigning horse. You still go in there and do the pattern. But you're going to train on your horse throughout it, you know, whether it's in your rollbacks, you may catch the horse in your rollback. And instead of just doing a 180, you catch him and you'd make him spin around like a 360 and then back up and rolling back one more time. Or you go in there and you spin him really hard and then you just lope your circles nice and slow. Like You go in there and you get him really wound up and thinking show, show, show. And then you just go out there and you run your circles nice and slow or let's say that you run your circles and you know you're coming up to your lead change and the horse doesn't change really well so instead of going off on your circle you hold him in a counter canner for another circle and then you skip a circle on your other side to be respectful for the judge like we have to maintain the respect and integrity of the show we don't just go in there and do our own thing we still go in there and and, and technically show and stay as much on pattern as we can but it doesn't matter if someone in the stands doesn't understand what you're doing. And they're like,
0: oh,
1: what is so-and-so doing? They're completely blowing. That wasn't the pattern. And they're giggling with their their little homies that, oh, look at so-and-so. They're not doing the pattern. They're going to get a zero. But yeah, that's the intention. I'm out here to train. I've got bigger fish to fry. Figure out what you want in the long run and realize that I'm going to have to go through a little bit of ugliness and I'm going to have to do a little bit of training going out there Flying, trailer, and over to shows, paying entry fees, paying stall, paying shavings, paying feed to do what? To go in there and bomb. I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to ride the horse through the pattern, but guess what? When we get over to the bridge in the show pen and he spooks at the bridge, what am I going to do? I'm going to pull him around and then spin him around, and then get your ass over the bridge. Then we're going to go over the next thing. Oh, we got some pool noodles I got to ride through. Well, you got to ride through the darn pool noodles. We're going to train on the horse. If he doesn't want anything to do with the pool noodles, we may have to. Maybe it really falls apart. You run into an obstacle that was totally out of your your horse's comfort zone, and he doesn't just get uncomfortable with it, but he's like, "Holy cow, this might kill me!" And he gets like into that life threatening zone. So then, instead of spinning him around, you have to go and do rollbacks a little bit, and you have to maintain respect. And like what I would try to do in those scenarios is time. I'll sit there and I'll watch other riders do it. And I'll find an average time for how long it takes. And then when I go in there, I set my watch or I set my phone for, say, five minutes. Whatever it runs for a general, you know, trail course pattern. Usually like four and a half minutes or three minutes. Somewhere in there. And I'll set that. And so when that thing goes off, I'm out of there. You know, wherever whatever part of the pattern I got to. But I maintain respect for the show, for the judge. I don't just go in there and say, well, I paid, so I'm going to do what I want. No, you have to maintain respect for the show, the organization, the event staff, the people that are running it, the coordinators. You have to be respectful to them. You don't just go in there and and run roughshod. But you have to understand that whatever the funny looks you're getting and the people that are giggling out the back pin, it doesn't matter because you have to have a bigger picture in mind. You're using instead of trying to win every little show you go to and try to impress people. You can't be in the business of impressing people. You're in the business of either getting your horse better or it's or you're getting your horse worse. You need to go in there with the mindset of, I'm going to use this little show as this little local open class trail class. I'm going to go and use this as an opportunity to train my horse, put him in a show situation, act like I'm showing, not go in there and, and act like you're training at home. You go in there and you, and you pretend when you walk in that pen. That you are trying to get a score in this in this particular class, but when things don't go well, you don't just cover them up. You address them in the class. Pretty soon the horse realizes, oh crap, I have to think for myself out here in the in the show pen. It's not just a free for all. I get to run wild and act all goofy. The rules still apply here. I'm still responsible in this unfamiliar environment in this show pen. I'm still responsible. Okay, and that's why you go to any like ranning reigning show. They have paid warm-ups, like, they'll have it, like, from 6 a.m. to, like, midnight, they'll have paid warm-ups, and you can buy, like, a five-minute time slot to go in there, and basically, one at a time, you have the arena to yourself to, quote-unquote, fake show. That's why there's, like, little raining shows here and there um, people will, will go to, and they'll ride into the arena when they won't wear chaps. Why? They're already tipping off the judge, hey, you don't have to waste your time marking me, because I'm in here. I'm going to do the pattern. I'm going to try and stay on pattern but I'm going to school my horse instead of trying to go in. Oh, well I entered the fee. So I guess I got to compete. No, you paid the fee so you can go expose your horse, train on them, make them responsible so that down the road, say five or six shows later, you've got the one that you're like, this is the one I really want to prepare my horse for and do well at. So you use five or six little shows before that, or say, you know, if you're able to at one show have multiple times you can enter in different classes and do the same thing, and just go school. Doesn't matter what the funny looks you get, and the oh, what is she doing? You can't do that. Blah blah blah. You, instead of buying into that and letting that control you, train your horse. You've got bigger fish to fry down the road. You don't. You're you're purposely entering the class just to school your horse, to prepare them, make them responsible in those situations, so that when you get to the show that you really wanted to do well at, maybe there's like a. The state 4-H show instead of just the local county shows. You got the state 4-H show to prepare for. When you go to that show, you've got your best horse there because you've prepared him instead of just pandering to what everyone else thinks of the ugliness en route
0: to the final product. We need to take a page out of the top level professionals book. I mean, how many schooling shows and, you know, get togethers where guys school their horses at other trainers' places? Or how many little pre-futurities are out there? A ton. An absolute ton. And they go and pay thousands of dollars per horse on entry fees and stalls and everything else to bomb. Because it's a learning process of how to show that you have to go through. You know, you can't stay in a vacuum at home and train, 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 and then just show up one day and expect to do well. And those, those high level horses
1: at shows, like, where the entry fee to Bomb is, like, still, like, 400 bucks. How do those horses usually do the first time out there? Horrible. Exactly. They complete. I mean, you know, just between, like, all horses we've gotten to see, there's there's horses that have gone out their first time and just completely fallen apart. And guess what happens come the real fraternity at the end of the year? You don't see any of that ugliness. Exactly. But if they would have been controlled by what, Another trainer thought of how their horse looked. And that's the nice thing about, you know, usually, like, between trainers is they understand that process. But where people go wrong is they've got their friends there. To, oh, you're showing. Well, I've got the weekend off. I'm going to go out there and see you ride the ponies. You know, and you've got your friends or whatever out there that don't exactly know what's going on. And then you go out there and bomb. And they're like, oh. I better not talk to so and so they're going to be mad and then the ride home is like quiet cuz they're nervous cuz I think you're all upset or grumpy or something like we need to to realize okay we've got bigger fish to fry here and we're trying to use these as basically to give us the the leverage to catapult us to success when the spotlight is on at the one that we really set out yeah give
0: yourself room to fail i mean give yourself some runway
1: yeah and that's the thing it's it's like it's fail yes but and that's where everyone thinks, well, we went to the show and it was a complete failure. Well, you could look at it like that. If you just went there to compete and the horse bombed and all you did was try to stick to the pattern, then yes, you it was a failure, but whose failure was it? It was your failure as the rider. When the horse has failure, he did what you trained him to do, which was ride good at home. You didn't train him to ride good on the road. You didn't train him to ride good in the show pen. So if you would have used that opportunity to just throw the show immediately... Like, yeah, there may be, there may be times where you go in there and you're like, well, I paid the entry fee. I kind of want to do well this time. He's probably not prepared, but I really want to get a score. Okay. Then go for it. But make no mistake. If things fall apart, maybe they go well for you. But if they do fall apart, don't be too prideful to just say, all right, you know what? I'm
0: throwing, I'm throwing the rest of the class and I'm going to fix this problem because it'll be better the next time I go there. Yeah. I mean, you got to have, you got to stay in touch with reality. Like, There's times and it actually happens more than the successes where you have to take the L and not take it so personal, you know, but there's a lot of people out there and, and we've had interactions in this way where people are really hard on themselves in the sense that they set themselves up to fail by training in a vacuum at home. They never get to the do it now stage with anything and then they're gearing up and sometimes it's work and schedules and I can't go do schooling, you know, at a lot of places and blah, 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 you know whatever excuses are in play and they, they set themselves up for one ultimate event or like one year ending show that they really want to do well at. And then they go bomb and then they're super mad at how dip how bad it went. You know, I use the analogy of like, you know, when I said, give yourself runway, you know, that's, that's exactly it. Give yourself to build momentum so you can work up to that success. But if you, if you cut yourself off at the knees, it'd be like, taking the wrong taxiway out onto a runway. If you're going to fly a little single engine aircraft and you take the wrong taxiway. So you end up on the wrong end of the runway turned around. So you've got like a third of it left and you just take off anyways and can't get airborne in time and crash in the trees at the end of the airfield. Then you get out of the smoking wreckage and you're mad that you ran out of runway. You know, you can't, you have to set yourself up for success And as much as we talk about the horse taking responsibility, there has to be human responsibility in the sense that I've got to stay a thinking horseman. I can't go to the show and just turn my brain off and think that my horse was automatic at home. So I can just not really be an active rider, not school, not train. I can just kind of sit up here and operate my robot and it better go exactly as it went at home. And That's just not reality at all. And a lot of people, as well, they hold themselves back is just out of insecurity, like you've been talking about. They won't do what what is necessary. Sometimes, even to get the maneuvers done, like if the horse is being lazy, not paying attention, and you need to use more leg, you shouldn't be ashamed to do that. If you need to pull on them, you shouldn't be ashamed to do that. One of my mentors, in fact, this was, it was funny to see, but there was a point to it. Was that you know he goes to a show and he had a cow horse that was. Kind of, I mean, it was a good horse, but it was kind of slow and kind of sluggish and just had a reputation for not wanting to run hard, especially when it was time to circle up on this cow. And, you know, he goes to a a little quarter horse show. And I remember as soon as he starts his circling and this horse is being lazy and he's too far behind, he takes the end of the romel and over and unders and spanks that son of a gun and says, get your butt up there. And of course, does that look good in front of the judge that he's whacking on this horse to get him to run hard? No. But he did what he needed to do in the moment to make the point. And, you know, like if you if you're going up to a lead departure and the horse is being sluggish, you've got spurs, you've got legs. Use them. You know, if the horse is running through your hands, you've got hands, you have a bridle, you have a bit. Use it. Get something done. You know, don't don't hide things like that because And again, it's it's a compilation of factors, but that's the other thing we see is people are too timid about training on themselves. And a good education would be to go to a premier level show like a derby or or a futurity and watch those guys school their horses in the days before and in the sessions leading up to the to the big show or the finals or whatever. Watch what they do. They're not ashamed to go out there and get the job done. Because it's what they have to do. They have to prove to the horse that I don't care if we're in an alien environment, the rules are still, they still apply. I need that response. When I ask you for that maneuver, when I step you up to that obstacle, whatever the case is, you need to have your brain on and working and respond. You know, we can't just go into this completely unprepared and mindless. The old saying goes that you lose about 40% of your
1: horse when you go into the show pen, right? Right. So if we can make our horse responsible and we've got that 60% left, but that 60% is fully responsible for what he's doing, then we're sitting pretty good. We're in pretty good shape. So I hope that by bringing this up and making you guys aware of this and, you know, like, and we can eliminate a lot of the struggle that we went through ourselves trying to make the correlation, trying to make that transition from riding at home and training to actually going in the show pen and now trying to display what we work toward and not having it completely fall apart and not knowing why. Now that we've we've brought this to light, hopefully you can kind of like, this is an aha type of a moment. And so you can start kind of seeing different areas in your own program, your own riding at home, whether it's just on the trail or in the arena or whatever, you can see areas at home where you're like, ah, oh, you know what? I'm kind of just covering this up. I'm letting him constantly do this over and over again, constantly just putting up with his mistakes when he knows much better. We've been doing the same thing and just running circles. He's never getting better with this, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully, in bringing this to light, this is a big aha moment for you so that you can take your own program to the next level. Then you can start going off to different things publicly, different shows, whatever it may be, and having a lot more success because you've changed your mindset around. There is a difference between how I train at home versus how that translate in a show pen.
0: And I hope whether it's people that are showing and more of the amateur crowd or, you know, if you're not showing at all, but you just want a horse that operates good away from home that you can trust, depend on as a teammate. What I really hope is that we've given people a little bit more confidence to do what they need to do to get to that do it now stage and not be like so many people who are insecure or timid or it makes them feel uncomfortable to ask their horse to that level. You know, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable if you encounter an obstacle or, you know, you need them to get that maneuver dialed in right now. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable to step up from, okay, come on, let's do this, to do it now. And, but you, it's, a, it's a stage that you have to get to in your training. And I understand that fear of judgment. You know, we live in a culture as well where things can get so easily taken out of context and made to look bad, and the horse world is pretty judgmental and snarky anyway. But I hope that we can help give people the air cover to not hold yourself back. You know, we talk about this often. We've been a guest on a podcast where this was our main theme, and we're continuing it here. It's something we've always hammered on. The top-level guys, the really successful horsemen that are showmen, as well as just the successful horse owners that really enjoy their horses, they are always willing to step up to that level and ask in that way and get the job done and say, do it now, get over that obstacle, do that maneuver right now. They're not afraid to ask that, and a lot of people hold themselves back way too much. So hopefully this gives people the air cover to ask and know that they're not doing anything wrong It's exactly what their horse needs and exactly what they need if they want to get to that next level. Thank you for listening to the Project Horse Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating to help more horsemen like you find our content. You can also check out the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. There, you can message us with any questions or training topics you want covered on the show. You can also learn about our training program, clinics, lessons, and the consulting we do for horse owners across the United States and abroad. Thanks again for listening.